now as we come to this hour, this sacred hour where we get to hear your word, uh, Father, we pray that you would uh, open our ears, as Bobby has already prayed, God, that you would not dull us, Father, to the word of your, of your truth, Lord, but that we would not harden our hearts, but that you would soften our hearts, God, that the word of God, as it goes forth, would fall in fertile soil, that the people here would believe, God, they would believe and therefore they would enter your rest, God, that they would truly feast on you by faith, that in Jesus Christ, the bread of life, God, we pray that as we think about our lives, Lord, that we would not be those who try to earn our way to heaven, but we would be those who rest in our Sabbath rest, the Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you would allow us to, to have hope today, to have, to have true hope in the resurrection of Christ, that we know that one day we will enter into that Sabbath rest. God, so we pray again, Lord, that you would not allow us to, to fall into the deceitfulness of sin. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase. The name of Jesus Christ would be exalted and extolled today. That as Jesus Christ is exalted, you would draw all men and women, boys and girls, to yourself. We pray that you and you alone will get glory from this message. We ask this humbly and expectantly in the name of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, well, I did get word from our team in Boston. They arrived on the ground safely. Uh, Grant has told me that the team is, is there, eager and ready to serve. Uh, to go on a mission trip like to go to Boston, we try to save money to do it, do it on the cheap, which means it's a lot less comfortable than maybe taking a two-hour plane ride. It's a more of a 17-hour uh, bus ride, um, but we're thankful for it. The last several trips I've had to, to lead, both to Boston and to Michigan, uh, it was amazing. Probably halfway through the trip, it kind of dawned on me why the trip was so peaceful. It's because there was no complaining, you know, and you giving up your time and you're going to sleep on, on, the, on the floor of a church, uh, sometimes with air conditioning, sometimes without heat, um, and there's still no complaining. Waking up at 6 o'clock in the morning uh, to go and serve, to, to go give coffee to people, to pass out granola bars. Uh, even last year on our bus ride to, to Boston, our AC went out halfway, halfway through, uh, and still no complaining. Uh, and I was just amazed at that uh, testimony. It was a testimony of those who, who went on the trip, but it was, I think it was a testimony of those who kind of had a mission trip mindset. I think when you have a mindset to serve, when you go on a mission trip, you, you know that you're working for the Lord and not for, for man. So you know, I think in that place, that this is not the time to complain. This is not the time to, to grumble of, of how things are. We're going to, to focus on how we can serve the Lord. It's the way I, I tell my children to serve when we ask them to do things. We say, we want you to do it right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. We don't want you just to do what we ask you to do. We want you to do what we ask you to do in a, in a, in a fashion of excellence as if you're working for the Lord with a heart of, of joy. And that's really what I've get, got to experience on these mission trips. That's what Grant is experiencing now. We don't want to just get things done. We want to do them in a way with joy. Well, we know from this text, you, you see it co coming, that the people of God here are, are grumbling. They are, they are complaining about their, their lives. In an article I read this week, it said that there's three kind of types of complainers. There's venters, uh, who people who just want to be listened to. They typically look for someone to listen to their complaints, but are quick to shut down solutions, even if given good advice. There's the sympathy seekers. These kind of complainers always kind of one-up your misery. They always, always have it worse than you and are quick to see the fault in situations and others. Or maybe the chronic complainers, uh, something researchers call ruminating. 
which means to obsessively think and complain about a problem. Instead of feeling relaxed after complaining, they actually become more worried and anxious from the act. Well, we know Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. That's an easy one for parents to memorize, right? Do all things without grumbling and arguing. But there's a, there's a purpose there. It says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So we live in a crooked and twisted world, in a fallen world where people often serve themselves. And what arguing and complaining does, it looks like the crooked and twisted generation. But when you don't complain, but you serve the Lord with joyfulness and with gladness, you don't look like the generation, but you actually look like the people of God. It says, as you, the text goes on, shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that the day of Christ I may be proud that I do not run in vain or labor in vain. So what Paul is telling the church at Philippi is that when you live your life without arguing, without complaining, without grumbling against God and God's people, what you're doing is you're shining like a light as you hold out the word of life to people. They see that your life is different. Why? Because you're different than the crooked and twisted generation. So as we think about this text, we have to ask ourselves, are we complaining too much? Are we grumbling too much. See, when we complain, we shift the focus from God and his mission, and we turn it to us. Our complaining really makes us the center of the universe. Now, hopefully, as we go through this message, you don't feel that you can never talk about your problems, right? You can't, I don't want to say anything negative. I think there's, there's a time and place where we share our, our burdens with others, but we always want to make sure that our heart is, is, is being checked, that we are not grumbling against others, against our leaders, or against the Lord. So are you a grumbler? We see this, that the people of God in Israel were. So this first point, the grumbling at the Lord. The grumbling at the Lord. Look back in your text with me, Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. Now we're going to do a lot of study of the Bible. So if you're a guest with us, I would recommend that you have the Bible open. We're going to spend a lot of time here in Exodus chapter 15 and 16, and then we're going to jump to a few other places in the New Testament. So I want to make sure that you hold on um, to your scriptures. Verse 22, it says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. This is typical of God. We see a, a mighty act of God where God shows his power. The Red Sea was parted. Israel went through on dry ground. The Egyptians followed after them. Their, their chariots were clogged in the mud, and the water fell upon the Egyptians, and the people of God rejoiced in the salvation that only God gave, right? And from there, from seeing this mighty act of God, his blessings, his, his abundant and rich mercy, where are they sent? Well, they're sent into the wilderness. This is typical of the life of the Christian. We should not expect the crossing of the Red Sea every single week. What we should expect is the wilderness because we know that this is not our final home. Our, our home belongs in heaven, and yet we are living in the wilderness. It says in verse 20, the end of verse 22, it says, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, I want to give the Israelites a little bit of, of uh, a break here because they're walking for three days. I don't know about you, but if I was walking for three days, I may die or I would be thirsty, okay? 
So imagine these Israelites, they're walking for three days with their children, and I'm sure the children were happy and were not complaining at all. It was not a hard journey walking in the wilderness with children, right? Um, and they, they're walking for three days, and finally they see water, right? You see that excitement kind of, you didn't think I could do that. I, I just did it. I don't know why. But there's this excitement that is happening, right? And what happens? They, they came to Mara and they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log and threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. This is one of the reasons why uh, people are discouraged because they have false expectations. The people of Israel expected the water to be good, and it tasted bitter. So that gap created their frustration. Now one of, if you are one of those people who are maybe kind of prone to chronic grumbling or complaining, it could be that you have a wrong set of expectations. You expect things to be a certain way, and they don't meet your expectations. Therefore, you are, are frustrated. That's, that's the reality. Uh, I find this every time I, I watch uh, HGTV, which really only happens when I go on, on trips and I'm in a hotel room and HGTV naturally comes on and you see people bemoaning how awful their house is and then the decorator comes in and they, they fix something and they start crying. Why? Because they weren't expecting it to be that good, right? But sometimes they go into a house that they expect it to be really good and it's, it's not, and then what do they do? They still cry because it's HGTV. I know, right? But the, the, the expectations is, is a big deal right? So the Lord provides this solution in, in bringing this log uh, and throws it in the water. The water that was bitter that they couldn't drink now is becoming sweet. Look at verse 26. Then the, there the Lord made for them a statue and a rule where he tested them. All of this next section of scripture from here all the way through Sinai, right, through the promised land until they enter Joshua is this idea of the Lord testing his people right? You've seen my mighty acts. You've seen my power. I defeated Egypt and all the gods of Egypt. Now I'm going to put you to the test. Do you really believe in me? Do you really trust me? And he gives them a very specific way to trust him. And they retest them saying, verse 26, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Really what you see there is, is the Lord gives four things that would, would cause blessings to fall upon Israel. Really it's just two things said in, in two different ways. So you, you do one, you diligently listen to the Lord. And two, do what is right in his eyes. So you listen and do. Same thing in the second part. It says give ear to diligently listen, give ear and keep his statutes, do what is right. So if you want to, to, to please the Lord, you listen to his word and you do what it says. It's not rocket science, the life of the Christian faith. Now this doesn't mean that if we listen now and do right, that nothing bad is going to happen to us. I think this promise was specifically to Israel to, to show the contrast between Israel and Egypt. We know that there's many of you here who are listening diligently to the word of God who are trying to do what he says, and life does not always work out the way you want. There's actually a spirit of teaching in the evangelical church that actually teaches if you listen to God and do what is right, that your life will be roses. It'll be perfect. 
that bad things shouldn't happen. And if bad things happen to your life, it's because you don't have enough faith and you're not listening to the Lord, your God, enough. It's a heresy. It's not true. We see that in the Apostle Paul's life. We see that in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's dangerous and dead wrong. Christians are not immune to the troubles of this world. And yet, what do we see in verse 27? I think this is interesting. It says, Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. They encamped there by the water. Isn't that interesting? So they're walking for three days. They're in the wilderness, and they get to this one kind of little bit of of water, and it's, it's not good. And instead of just pressing on and keep going, They, they start saying, what are we going to drink? They start getting upset. When God may have wanted to take them to Elam the entire time where there was 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. Those numbers are interesting. Think about the 12 tribes of, of uh, Israel and the 70 people that came with Joseph and entered into Egypt. Is that a coincidence? Dare I say, I think not. Okay? So I think that sometimes I've seen this in, in numerous times in ministry where people are going through the wilderness and they're struggling. And right before they, they want to get to the Elam, the, the 12 springs of water and the palm trees, they quit and they give up. When they would have pushed through just a little bit longer, they would have reached the Lord. Sometimes the Lord puts you through the wilderness, puts you through trials to test you to see whether or not you are going to believe in the Lord. So if you're in that place right now where you're thinking about, about cashing in and saying, I'm done I'm about to turn my back against the Lord. Can I just press you to push a little longer? Trust the Lord through the wilderness. So God brings him to this place in rest of verse 27, and then look at how this begins in verse 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation and the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. You see how God is doing. God gives the people rest, and then he takes them to the wilderness. Rest, wilderness. That is a theme I want you to see throughout this text. It's really a theme that is in the entire Bible. God desires to give you rest, but the way to rest often is through the wilderness. Look at verse 2. It says the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, what that we had, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat up by the meat pots, sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now notice, it's not just one or two people here. It's the whole congregation of Israel who's grumbling against Moses, right? They're saying, Moses, why did you bring us here? And it's interesting, when things are going bad, you tend to look back at times that were even, in your mind, worse, and you start to look at them with rose-colored glasses. They start to say, do you remember when we were in Egypt? We sat by meat pots and had all that we wanted to bread to the full. Now remember, why do you think they had pots full of meat and bread to the full, if they even had that? Well, they had that so they could be slaves, so that you're not going to be tired when you work. 
So we see in Exodus chapter 1, verse 14, that the, the Israelites were sleeted with a, a bitter and harsh slavery. It says their life was actually bitter with hard service. In chapter 2, verse 23 of the same book, they, they groan to the Lord because of their slavery. So they, they think that being in Egypt is better than being in the wilderness, but being in Egypt was awful. But they look back and say, wouldn't it be better back there? And who do they blame here? They blame Moses and Aaron. You, Moses and Aaron, have brought us here to kill everyone. Now, I think that's probably a little bit of an over-exaggeration. Okay? Let's, let's just be honest. Sometimes when we complain, that's what we sound like. You always do this. You never listen to a word I say, right? That's not true, right? Always and never. Don't use those language because we never do there. Now, I, think I, I think personally I've, I've kind of grown as a parent because um, early on when I had children, if my kids didn't do something for me or they didn't, like, eat the food that I want, I would say, you're not eating for a week. <laughs> my wife would just look at me like, uh, yeah, they will. <laughs> like, what are you doing? So we don't want to have this over-exaggeration, right? Now, I don't think what, what the text is saying, that we can't complain to the Lord, right? That we can't bring our, our, our frustrations to the Lord. Uh, because we see that happening in Habakkuk's day. Habakkuk actually says the complaint Habakkuk brought before the Lord. We see throughout the Psalms, there's these Psalms of lament, which God hears. You know, praying a, a, in lament is very different than complaining right, with a bitter spirit towards God's people. That's where they're at. There's this grumbling nature of Israel. But secondly, we see God providing good food, the good food of the Lord in in point two. Look at verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them. Again, that word whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you the evening meat, in the evening, meat to eat, and in the, in the morning, bread to the full. Because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of, of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat. In the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the ground. And when the dew had gone up, there was no face. It was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, a fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is this? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, 
each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer, according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. So you read this story, and you, just, you see how it's playing out, right? The people of God are grumbling against their leaders, Moses and Aaron, for bringing them into the wilderness. My life is hard. We don't have enough food. We're hungry. So instead of going to the Lord of that complaint or just saying, Lord, how are you going to, to bring us food after you just saw the, the mighty acts of God against the Egyptians and the plagues and then the parting of the Red Sea, again, they're grumbling, thinking that God cannot provide for their needs. And I, just, I love what, what Moses and Aaron say. They say, what are we? What are we that you are grumbling against us? So those of you who are desiring to be in the pastoral ministry, desire to serve as an elder or a deacon of of a church, know this, that when you serve the Lord and lead God's people, be prepared for grumbling. You know, I I was thinking this morning about, about our congregation and the last time I really felt grumbling from our, our people. And it's been a long time. I couldn't actually place a time when I kind of felt grumbling from the people of God here at Park, and praise God for that. But there have been days, right, in the past when grumbling has has been there. Beloved, that is life in a fallen world. When you lead anybody, you should expect people to complain or grumble. Parents, life in a fallen world, you should expect your kids to complain and grumble. But we know that when we as, as leaders, as parents, are, are, are representing the Lord in whom they are grumbling against. So children, if you're here, every time you grumble against your parents for things that they ask you to do, you're ultimately grumble, grumbling against the Lord because God has given you parents in his kindness so to lead you to do what is right in this world. So when you grumble and complain about doing your chores, you're really grumbling and complaining against the Lord. Church members, when you're grumbling and complaining against your leaders about what we're doing or not doing well, just just know this, be careful because you may be grumbling against the Lord. And that is not trying to to kind of push off the blame that we don't have areas in our leadership to grow, and we do. But I, I care more about your soul than you being thinking that I'm trying to protect myself. See what the text says. When they were grumbling against Moses, they were really grumbling against the Lord. But look at how kind God is. How many times do the people of God complain and grumble and whine? God would have been right and just to wipe them all out. Haven't you just seen me part the Red Sea? And what does he do? I'm going to give you bread from heaven. That's God's kindness. I'm going to give you meat at, at, at the evening. You know, God is showing his kindness. I love Romans 2.4, which says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Beloved, if God has been kind to you, he's been kind to bear with you in your sin, know that that is is a sign of you to turn to him, not to keep turning away from him. He is kind and gracious. He provides this bread from heaven, a miracle. He provides the quail at, at evening. And we probably think this has maybe happened twice in, in the story of God's people. This wasn't a recurring thing where quail didn't come every single night. But this time it came, 
at a very specific reason so that the people of Israel would know that the Lord is the Lord their God. As you read throughout the the story of, of, of the Exodus so far, one thing you heard time and time again, that God did the, the mighty acts of power against the Egyptians. So what? So that the Egyptians would know that he is the Lord. Now it's, it's turning, isn't it? It's that God's not trying to show himself to the Egyptians any longer because he's done that. Now he's trying to show himself to his own people that they would believe. Signs for you to know the Lord. So if you are here today and you have not put your faith in Christ, have you looked for the signs of the Lord? Have you, have you gone outside and just studied creation? See how the sun rises each day and sets each night? Do you see how we can breathe air from the trees, the oxygen given from our, our world? Have you studied the human body? Have you ever cut yourself and realized your, your body heals itself in God's creative power? You ever just kind of looked at your hand and watch how the, the muscles and the bones move? It's, it's spectacular. The human body is amazing. This is God's creative power. Have you ever just looked and studied all the signs in this world for his existence? I pray if you haven't done that, you would, you would do so. God shows signs to his people. Now, all these things that you see in these first two points really kind of zero in and kind of lead us to, to look towards the future. So this, this next point, we want to see the good rest of the Lord, the good rest of the Lord. Look at verse 18. Sorry, verse 19 of chapter 16. It says, And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as they could eat. But when they grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. All that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid aside all till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but the seventh day, which is in the Sabbath, there, were, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. You notice what God's doing here? He's testing them again. He says, on the sixth day, gather twice as much and it will be left till morning. And what do they do? They did not listen. God didn't give them the reasons why he was asking them to, to wait. He just said on the sixth day, just gather twice as much. Seeing if the people would listen to him, would trust him. Sometimes God does that with you. Sometimes God does things in your life, and he doesn't give you all the reasons why. He just says things are going to happen this way. And will you just trust him at his word? This is what the people of Israel did not do here. So then God explained 
why this will happen. Gather for two days because I want you to rest on the seventh day. I want you to make that a day for the Lord. And what do you see in verse 27? On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. They thought there was going to be more there, but God told them that there wasn't. They would not listen. And the Lord's response is, how long? How long will you refuse to listen to my my point? Listen, the Sabbath rest is a theme throughout Scripture, right? It points to two things. It points to God's creative power. We see that in Exodus 24, right? God says he created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. So honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, he's going through the rehashing of the Ten Commandments. Moses is. And there he doesn't say, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, for God created the world. No, he says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, for you were slaves in Egypt and God freed you from it. So the two things, when we we have a Sabbath rest, we see God's creative power and we see God's redemptive power. And this rest that God was, was giving the people of Israel in the wilderness was kind of a foreshadowing to the rest that he was going to give us. So if you look at a kind of a biblical theme of rest and kind of trace it throughout God's redemptive story. You see that in creation, God created the world in, in, in six days and generation two, three. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now we see this story here in, 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 in the wilderness where God's providing a Sabbath rest, rest weekly, right? So they can rest and give their worship and honor and praise to the Lord. When they enter into the promised land, they fight all these battles against all these different nations. Joshua chapter 11, verse 23 says, So Joshua took the whole land, according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel, according to the tribal allotments. And the land had rest from war. They entered into the promised land, they fought all these battles, and God gave them rest. At the end of Joshua, Joshua 23, 1, a long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies, then Joshua kind of passes off his ministry. We see this in the ministry of, of King David, right? The United Kingdom, they come together under King David, and David says at the end of his life, chapter 1 Chronicles 23, 25, the Lord, the God of Israel, has given rest to his people, and he dwells in Jerusalem forever. Listen, Throughout the Bible, God has promised to give his people rest. The Sabbath in in Exodus 16 is pointing forward to something. It's pointing forward to, to remind us that we as a people need rest. Every single night, we close our eyes and we sleep. Why? Because we can't function without it. Every time we rest, we remind ourselves that we are mortals that we are not God, that we are not in charge. But it's not just this idea of a physical rest. We are reminded that we cannot earn our way to heaven, that we cannot earn our salvation. We have to rest in the Lord. That's exactly what Israel did in the Red Sea. If you remember from last week, what did they do? They said, all, Moses says, all you have to do is be silent, meaning all you need to do is rest, and God's going to give you victory over your greatest enemy. We see that in, in the cross. We, we know that we can't work our way to heaven. So we see that in Romans 3.20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. 
or just read the book of Galatians where you see that, that we can't earn our way to heaven. And yet, here in the wilderness, God provides food. Without the food, they would have been dead and gone. God provides salvation through this bread. And now we see in the New Testament, Jesus Christ has become our Sabbath rest. So in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does that mean? Does that mean we, we, we no longer labor? Well, no, it means that we no longer labor for salvation. Because Jesus Christ says, come to me and I will be your Sabbath rest. So in Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, verse 12 through 14, stick with me. This is a beautiful picture of God's salvation. This is when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you see it? Do you see Jesus Christ on the cross saying, it is finished dead and buried in the ground and raised to sit down at the right hand of God. Why? Because salvation has been accomplished. All we need now is to, we need to go to our rest, go to our Sabbath rest, the Lord Jesus. Salvation has been completed. And we see that all over that passage, Hebrews 3 and 4. Did you see it? Right? Just go there for, 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 for a moment. Hebrews chapter chapter 3 and 4. I won't read the whole thing because Bobby said it. You know, it says in chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. There's still a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. How do we strive to enter that final rest? Is we hold on to Jesus, who is our rest, who said, come unto me, and you will find rest for your weary souls. You will no longer try to live your life for salvation by doing the works of the law, but you can rest in Christ because it is is finished. We see that, this this picture in Exodus chapter 16. Look forward. I want you to rest here in the wilderness because I want you to picture that future rest in Christ and that ultimate rest when we enter his presence in glory, that Sabbath rest of the people of God. The other thing that this passage shows us in Exodus chapter 16 is the good gift of the Lord. Number four, the good gift of the Lord. So in Exodus chapter 16, let me finish this, reading this chapter and just make a couple comments and we'll close. So in Exodus chapter 16, it really kind of gives a more specific depiction of what this bread is like, beginning verse 31. This is now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. 
let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that you may see the bread with which I feed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, as so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept, the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. So what you see here is that we want you to take that manna and we want you to keep it, we want you to remember it. You're going to be eating it for 40 years, right? This, this bread that has fallen from heaven. But we want you to remember it because this bread that has fallen from heaven is not the only, I'm not only feeding you here in the wilderness, right? One day I'm going to feed all of God's people with this bread from heaven. So in John chapter 6, Jesus, at the beginning of the chapter, feeds the 5,000. These 5,000 people and men and then their women and children, the Lord Jesus feeds by praying and breaking a few loaves. We pick up the story in verse 25. Jesus is being confronted with the crowd. It said, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, because you ate your fill of the loaves. So they didn't really want Jesus. They wanted their bellies filled by Jesus. Sounds like a lot of the message we hear today. People don't really want Jesus. They want what Jesus offers, health and wealth. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the God, God the Father has set his seal. Then he said to them, what must we do? to be doing the works of God. Jesus answered them, Hear this, beloved. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you have that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, he said, ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And he said to them, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Don't you see that picture? Jesus says, come to me, feed on me by faith, for the, my body is, is, is the bread of life that it's going to be broken and given to you for salvation. If you come and you feast on me, you shall never hunger, you shall never thirst, you shall rest from your labors and you will have salvation in my name. This is the promise that God has, has foretold from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The Son has come to bring salvation. And you know what the people of God did? They grumbled. They grumbled. Jesus said, but I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to you. Whoever gives me, gives to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven and do not do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me to those that I should lose nothing, all that the Father has given me. 
and raise it up on the last day. But this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Down to verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that no one may eat of it, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I will give for life is the, of, the, of the world is my flesh. Beloved, listen. The good gift that God gives is not something that will fill your belly. The good gift that God gives is, your, is himself. God gave himself the living bread. And if you feed on him by faith, you will have eternal life. That's the picture of the Exodus. Bread came down from heaven, not just to feed the Israelites in the wilderness. No, it was foreshadowing the future bread that would come down from heaven to feed his people in the wilderness until he takes us to the promised land. How will you endure week in and week out? When you leave this place, you are going back into the wilderness. You're going back into a hostile environment. But when you're here, right, we have rest together in Christ We feed on Christ by faith. We are filled up so that we can go back to the wilderness. This is why God gave us the Sabbath rest, that week in and week out we can look forward and long to that day when our Christ shall return. And he will take us to be where he is. Israelites wanted prosperity. So when times of difficulty came, they grumbled. This is a check to your own heart. When you are confronted with difficulty, do you grumble? If that's you, you may be like the Israelites. You may delight in the good gifts of the Lord, but not the Lord himself. But Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give my body for you. It will be broken for you. So you no longer have to try to earn your way to heaven, but you can find your rest in me because I have already given it to you through my death and resurrection. So beloved, I pray that you would not grumble against the Lord, but that you would feed on him from faith, that you would embrace the bread of life. For he who feeds on the bread of life will never hunger. He who comes to the bread of life will never thirst. But one day, they will see their king in all his glory and finally and fully have their Sabbath rest. Father, I thank you for the people of God here. I pray that they would not be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. They would find the Sabbath rest in the Lord. They would feast on the bread of life by faith. We ask this in the one who came down from heaven, whose body was broken, 
to give us eternal life, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.